Welcome to the Global Hearted Podcast, where your heart for people around the world can deepen, and where you can be empowered to better reflect Jesus and His heart for all to know Him. I'm Jason Paulson, here with Anthony Taylor for today's discussion. Well, Anthony, in our last episode, we uh, talked about Genesis 6 and 7. Um, and in that, some of the things we talked about were how God is saddened by the wickedness of humanity. We talked about how Noah does all the things that God uh, commands him to do. And we talked about how the destruction um, that we see in the flood in chapter 7 is sort of a decreation, uh, paralleling what happens in the creation narrative earlier in Genesis. Today, as we talk about um, chapters 8 and 9, uh, I know part of what we're going to talk about is kind of the place that this has in the larger narrative, um, some of the details and features that'll help us to understand uh, what this is doing in the narrative, but then also um, what this may be doing as a um, as a story that points people uh, closer to God and closer to what he uh, wants us to experience. So, Anthony, what do you, uh, what do you pull out of um, chapters eight and nine here? Jason, that's, um, you know, as you said, this is, you know, a, you know, the largest story in, in the primeval history. And, you know, from Genesis 1 to Genesis 11. And so, and it's kind of in the center of it. And, and a lot of us, you know, living in the 21st century, when we read it, it's just kind of weird. And, you know, we immediately think about um, historicity and, you know, did a flood really happen? And and those are important questions. But um, I think, you know, we want to direct our minds to what is it that God wants us to learn from this story? Um, his questions of historicity are important, but you know, what is the meaning of this? And again, um, leading up to it in, in Genesis 6, uh, we see that the, the world is described as filled with violence. I mean, it's there, you know, the thoughts and the intentions of, of human beings' hearts is, is only evil continually. I mean, so that, that's highlighting it, but how that manifests itself is through violence and both by animals and by humans. And <clears throat> I think that's that's there to cause us to think about how we live out our lives today. Because if we were to look at the world and look at human relationships, there is a lot of violence on, on the earth. And God is trying to sensitize us to, you know, how we, you know, act in violent ways. It could be through our speech. It could be through the way we demean one another, you know, the way we demean one another in social media. Um, it's just really to, to create a sensitivity that violence in all its forms um, is abhorrent to God. And, and to create a healthy sensitivity towards that as the people of God, so that we we step back and we self-evaluate. And because <clears throat> the commands, you know, we have the Ten Commandments, and then we have the two great commandments, commandment to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then to love our neighbor as ourselves. And then we have the 
the for, you know the the commandment that Jesus gave gave us that we're to love one another as he has loved us and so um, you know uh, love is the complete antithesis to to hate and violence um and love and mercy and grace and so uh, this is to sensitize us to the importance of you know of God's abhorrence of violence and and to make us sensitive to that. And so again, you know, he brings the world to an end, as we saw in um in six and seven. Uh, and then he begins a, a recreation as we as we you know as we get into chapter eight, um verse one it says, But God remembered Noah and all the wild animals and all the domestic animals that were with him in the ark. Um, and this is the key point of this story, the center of the story. And the way we, we know that is because um, uh, this whole flood story is one big chiasm or a chiasmus. And now a chiasmin, which is otherwise known as a chiasmus, is a literary device that presents a series of ideas and then repeats them in exactly the opposite order. And the chiasm in the Noah story, in the flood story, is not around, around numbers. Because we see in seven chapter 7, verse 4, there was seven days of waiting for the flood. And then in 7, verse 10, there's another seven days of waiting for the flood. And then in 717a, we see there's 40 days of flood. And then there's... Uh, 724, we see there's 150 days of water triumphing. Um, and then after 8-1, we, in 8-3, we see uh, 150 days of water waning. And then in 8-6, we see 40 days wait of, you know, in, uh, and then a seven days wait in 8-10 and another seven days wait in 8-12. And so you have these this chasmus of numbers of days um uh helping us to focus in on the central point and the central point is that in 8-1 god remembered noah and all the wild animals and all the domestic animals that were with him in the ark um and so this is the center and the center point. Now we could ask again, why didn't God just destroy everything and just start over? Um, but uh, we, we lose sight of the fact that, you know, even though sin entered the world, the goodness that God had implanted in the world still remained. Sin didn't absolutely destroy everything. It, you know, the goodness that was there and you know, that God worked into his creation, remained. And so God remains faithful to his creation and to humankind. And so we see that play, play out. And so in eight, <clears throat> chapter, chapter 8, verse 1, after it says, God remembered Noah, we see that it says immediately, and God made a wind blow over the earth um, and the water subsided. And that's an echo of Genesis 1-2, where the Spirit of God is hovering over the surface of the waters. The, the, the word for spirit and wind is the same, same word. And so again, we see the, 
you know, the, the chiasmus, the, the reverse side of the chiasmus, you know, in verse three, at the end of 150 days, the waters had abated. And in six, in verse six, at the end of 40 days, no, oh, no, open the window. Verse 10, he waited another seven days. Again, this is the chiasmus working out. Um, and then uh, at, in verse um, 14, in the second month, on the 27th day of the month, the earth was dry. And God said to Noah, go out of the ark, your wife and your sons and your sons' wives with you. Bring out with you every living thing that is with you of all flesh, birds and animals and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth so that they may abound on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. Again, those words, be fruitful and multiply, is an echo to Genesis chapter 1, the first creation. And <clears throat> Noah's response immediately is to build an altar to the Lord and taking, taking of every clean animal and every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And, and the Lord smelled the pleasing odor and he said, you know, I'll never curse the ground because of humankind, but the inclination of the human heart is evil from youth. <clears throat> so there's a recognition that within humanity, in the, in, within human beings, there's this predisposition for evil, which again is to make us think of Genesis chapter four, where God says to Cain, you know, um, sin is crouching at the door, but you must master it. And, <clears throat> and it's to cause us to think, okay, we have this, this issue facing us. How are we going to move forward um, with this? And the beauty is those of us who are living, you know, after the crucifixion, we know that God has provided everything we need uh, through the death, the resurrection, the ascension of Jesus, you know, to live out <clears throat> lives of, that reflect God's character um, because he's poured out upon us his Holy Spirit and has come to dwell within us. Um, uh, but the promise is that God will never again curse the ground because of, because of humankind. And so... Um, as long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. And in that, we should rest and, and be hopeful. And then we get to chapter nine. Again, we have echoes of the first creation here, because this is the recreation. God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth. Um, but there's a caveat here. He is... He's working to protect humans because there's an indication that prior uh, to the flood that um, that animals were actively participating in the violence against one another, but also against humans. And so here there's a note, the fear and dread of you, of humankind, shall rest on every animal of the earth and every bird of the air and everything that creeps on the ground and all the fish of the sea. But in, into your hand they are delivered. We, every moving thing that sh that lives shall be food for you. So there's this opportunity, um, you know, for to eat meat. Um, but it's showing that there's this, you know, this God has put to protect us, this boundary uh, barrier 
um, so that we don't have to live in fear of the animal kingdom. Actually, they live in, you know, some, I don't know if fear is the right, right word, but there's this apprehension and they, they you know, there's a the barrier that God has put in there <clears throat> because of his care, his loving care for humankind. And then that's where he says, um, only you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is its blood. And here's the point, for your own lifeblood, I will surely require a reckoning from every animal. Uh, from every animal, I will require it. And from human beings. And so the rule comes in, whoever sheds the blood of a human, by a human shall that person's blood be shed. For in his own image, God made humankind. So that that shows the the significance of of human beings we are made in the image of god and therefore every human is to be respected and valued um and <clears throat> unfortunately i mean uh we have not we have not lived up to that standard um even those who those of us who say we follow the lord uh, sadly, in our own history, we have not, we've had, you know, unbelievable ways of othering people. And then once we other them, you know, we're able to then demean them and treat them, you know, inappropriately and, you know, keep the violence going on the earth that we're, we're called to bring an end to. Uh, it, it's quite sad, actually. And, and again, that's why this the story is there is to make us reflect and think who, you know, how am I living out my life before God? Am I, <clears throat> am I reflecting the character of God, the, the character, you know, the, am I reflecting God's love for humankind as, you know, as he is? Because that's our calling is to live out the life of God, the life of God that has come within us through our faith in Jesus Christ and through his coming in and dwelling within us, is to live that out. Um, and um, this, this, this all gets driven home, you know, in the, in the second part of, of uh, chapter nine. And then from verse eight onwards to verse 17, uh, an interesting word appears that only appeared once previously in the new, in the in the you know in Genesis the first chapters. It's the word covenant, and it appeared in verse six for the first time. And now here in from verse eight to seventeen, the word covenant appears seven times. And so it's 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 God is making a point. This is no accident. <clears throat> and so God is establishing a covenant with, with all of humankind um, and with all the living creatures that uh, are on the earth. And, and he's saying, I will never again cut off by waters of a flood all the flesh on the earth. And the sign of the covenant is, uh, is the rainbow in the heavens. And um, you know, again, the word covenant is said seven times, and this is not a covenant where we're to respond, you know, to um, do anything 
to ensure this is stays this way. This is God making a promise to us. I have done this once. I'm not going to do it again. And so you don't have to fear that. Um, and, <clears throat> and so we have to sit back and go, man, God has given us amazing grace. And how? what is our appropriate response to this amazing grace, this amazing gift of life that he has given us? And, you know, it should be more. Our response, you know, as we see from Noah, and because he found favor in the Lord, and it's highlighted that, you know, it says three times, Noah did all that was commanded of him. So <clears throat> our, the appropriate response of, of us as human beings, it has to be more than an attitude of wonder and and with words of praise, you know, to God. Um, in the light of God's mercy, um, the appropriate response is the obedience of faith or a believing allegiance to God, to live in accordance with his will. <clears throat> and this is, uh, this is just, this will be fully developed in the rest of scripture, but it's pointing in this direction. We, we see hints of it. And of course, um, in Genesis chapter two, God gave a command and Adam and Eve were to obey that command. They were not to eat from the tree, the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and yet they disobeyed that command. And so there's this understanding that we're supposed to live you know, God has made a covenant with us, has shown this unbelievable grace and mercy as creator, um, as the loving creator. And in the light of all of this, this uh, we're, we're to respond with, with believing allegiance to him. Um, and we see this developed as we, we go further, but we, and this is, I love this next section of, of the scripture, you know, the rest of the chapter <clears throat> nine, because we see that the sons of Noah went out of the ark, and then we see Noah plant a vineyard. He's the first to plant a vineyard. And so in a sense, um, although there may have been alcohol <laughs> beforehand, uh, this is trying to, yeah, the question is going to go in our mind, what, what's going on here? You know, Noah, a man of the soil, was the first to plant a vineyard. He drank some of the wine and became drunk, and he lay uncovered in his tent. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. Then Shem and Japheth took a garment, laid it on both their shoulders, and walked backward and covered the nakedness of their father. Their faces were turned away, and they did not see their father's nakedness. When Noah awoke from his wine and knew what his youngest son had done to him, he said, Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants, shall he be to his brothers. He also said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. May God enlarge Japheth and let him dwell in the tents of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. And, and so this is kind of a, a, you know, for us living in the 21st century, and for those of us who live in cultures where we don't, place a soup you know a super high value on honoring one's father and mother 
uh, this story puzzles us to no, no end because we don't have any of the cognitive or emotional connections to comprehend this story. Um, we just sit there and go, this is bizarre. And so some people would say, this is a reenactment. You know, Noah planting a vineyard um, is a reenactment of the fall. You know, it's a, you know, we're kind of seeing this sinfulness coming back into Adam and Eve sin. You know, and Noah plants a vineyard, he's in a garden, and then he, again, he sins. He, he's not taking from the, the, the fruit of the tree, you know, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He's, he's getting drunk with wine. I don't, you know, the, that parallel is there. And so it's to understand it, but I don't, I, <clears throat> I, I'm, I'm not so sure if that's the case. But, you know, the point is, he gets hammered, and he's uncovered in his tent. And in a culture where, you know, the, one of the commandments is to honor our father and our mother. And, you know, in our culture, you know, you know, in some cultures, you know, like the, the father is like God. He's the image of God to the family. And so you're supposed to honor him. <clears throat> and I We've lost the beauty of some of that honor in our in my culture, at least in my world. Um, uh, and some of it is too extreme in some cultures, but um, the point here is is that Ham dishonored his father, and, and so the you know uh, others would say, well, the the Hebrew is making it sound like some some evil thing happened um, sexually between him and Noah. But I don't, I don't think that's the case. I just think it's this case. We don't fully understand what it means in certain cultures to dishonor one's father. And actually Noah, you know, even though he's made a mistake, you know, it does sit there and say Proverbs, love in Proverbs, love covers a multitude of sins. And so in reflecting God, they, you know, Ham should have covered Noah's sin. And that's what his two sons did. They didn't want to look upon it. They just covered it. Um, and so there's this unbelievable dishonoring of his father. Um, and so when Noah woke <clears throat> from his wine and he saw what his youngest son had done to him, he said, curse be Canaan, a servant of servants. So we wonder, why is Canaan getting it? You know, what did he have to do with any of this? Um, <clears throat> and this is something we, you know, I fully don't understand. But um, the Canaanites lived in the land prior to Israel's coming into it. They were given to it and given it to them. Um, the, you know, the land of Canaan was given to Israel. And so there's something in here, but to be honest, I don't fully understand it. But I do see what's happening next. Because you could sit there and say, oh man, you know, Canaan gets gets a you know the bad end of the stick. And what did he do? Um, and again, the way we interpret scripture sometimes says more about us than about the scripture. Um, and so 26 to me is a key set of verses you know, 26 to 27, in understanding some of what's going on here. Um, 
because depending on what translation you're reading from, um, there's <clears throat> there are pronouns being used in the, in the Hebrew, and sometimes to help people understand what those pronouns are referring to, like the NIV and others will take those pronouns and apply it to a certain person. Um, and so I'm going to just show how the pronouns can be read. If, if we think of God as in the through the lens of God has revealed himself so far as the creator, and he has revealed himself as the one who reveals himself. He doesn't just hide himself. He reveals himself. So he's the creator. He's the revealer. Uh, he is also the sustainer. He's the one who sustains the earth, keeps it, keeps it moving forward. So he's creator, sustainer. He re he's the revealer. He comes to reveal himself in his will. But he's also the redeemer. And, um, and we see this redemption um, emerging through the way the pronouns appear in these verses. And let me unpack that. It says, blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. Now, is that his, whose servant is Canaan going to be? Now, some translations just say, let Canaan be Shem's servant. But notice, it's blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem. So it's saying, let Canaan be the Lord's servant. It's Noah is just, he said, cursed be Canaan, servant of servants shall it be to his brothers. And then in the reflection, because, you know, that God wanted that said for some reason. But then he also said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, and let Canaan be God's servant. May God enlarge Japheth and let him dwell in the tents of Shem. Now, who is him referring to? Is it Japheth? No, again, it's may God enlarge Japheth and let, Gaf and let God dwell in the tents of Shem and let Canaan be his servant. Is that Shem's servant? No, that's God's servant. And let Canaan be God's servant. And so <clears throat> we see in verse 26 and 27, Noah's prayer is for the redemption of everyone. Not that sin would, you know, that sin would abound. No, but that grace would abound and that people would come under the banner of God. Um, <clears throat> that's how I read verses 26 and 27, because that's what I see being played out when we get to Genesis chapter 12 and God calls Abraham. In 12 verse 3, God says, in you, Abraham, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. This is God's intention. God's intention is to redeem fallen humanity. And we see this pulsating through I mean, why is God doing this? He knows that <clears throat> humans are inclined towards doing evil, but his heart and his passion is to, is to you know, offer this way of redemption because God is a God who is the creator, sustainer, revealer, and redeemer. And this is the heart and the passion of God. And if we can 
understand this, we see this pulsating through all of scripture. Um, you know, <clears throat> and God is dealing with a fallen world, a rebellious humankind, and yet <laughs> in his, he is persistent in his desire to, re, you know, to redeem, to set humankind free from, from this sinfulness that we allow to, you know, overwhelm us and enslave us. And this is how I see uh, the significance of the story of Noah. Yeah, and I think that, like you just said, we see that that theme repeated over and over again. Like this, th this story here at the end with uh, Noah and his sons, and that redemption is this—it's the same type of theme that we see in the idea of the flood story in the first place. That God is redeeming, God is bringing people uh, forward into uh, His kingdom and forward with Himself, and we just we see that all throughout all of these stories. That is just a constant theme that comes back we have we've talked about reading these passages with our muslim friends who maybe haven't read them for the first time and you know one of the one of the ways that we've talked about and that is really popular is the inductive bible study method where you read you know you read a chapter and you really try to keep just to that chapter and i really appreciate that as a you know as a tool while we're working uh, with people who haven't read the Bible before, but I also struggle with that because I think I've said this before in our discussions that the the chapters and verses are not inspired. Sometimes they're just arbitrary uh, walls that keep us from really seeing the breadth of the story. And so I really appreciate how uh, we've talked about here seven through nine. We can see the uh, chiasmus. Um, yes operating you know through those chapters we can see how too when we when we look at just the details of the story that we have um uh we have the stories with the uh, the violence that the animals are participating in the violence before the flood and then after the flood there's there's this wall of separation how when we look at that larger uh the larger picture, just more than just one chapter, we can, we can see more of that um, throughout these throughout the narratives here that are in Genesis. Exactly, <clears throat> and I, the chapters do get in in the way because the story covers, um, you know, it goes from six all the way to the end of nine, and but how and. That's a lot of detail. It's a long story. And so sometimes yeah. chapters help us just, okay, we'll start. <laughs> you know, we only have so much time uh, to talk about any single, you know, the story. But anyway, um, yeah. Yeah, the other, the other thing that I was, uh, especially as you were talking about this last story with Noah and his sons, um, I have heard a lot of very interesting thoughts that people have just pulled out from, um, from these chapters, details that, uh, I, like you said, sometimes I think say more about 
us or what we're concerned about than what the scriptures are concerned about. Like I, I, I remember uh, a vigorous discussion about uh, Noah wasn't sinning, drinking wine to become drunk because uh, in this person's thought process, fermentation did not exist before the flood. And so that's why he's the first to plant a vineyard and he doesn't have any idea that there is alcohol. And so uh, this person's, uh, I, I'm trying to remember exactly what their, what their contention was, but it was basically that the earth was surrounded by clouds of uh, something that kept uh, the earth from having all this bad stuff from space come in. And then the flood brings all of that pouring down onto the earth. And that also causes fermentation. Just some really strange, strange ideas that people pull out of this when they're looking at looking at those specific details and trying to fit in um fit them into their their conceptions um because one of the things then after that that i i looked into this more and apparently these uh the ideas about noah planting a vineyard being a reenactment of the fall really get developed in america in the 1880s when the temperance unions are getting really big and so you know, all these women's Christian temperance unions trying to stop people from drinking alcohol, that really, like, this is one of the texts that they really come to and say, see, God, uh, this, this happened, alcohol happens after the fall, it ha is contributing to this very negative story about Abraham and or Noah and his sons. And so um, alcohol being bad, it, it, that point in culture was you know a, a real contention and so people developed theology around that so i i just think that that is uh, that really speaks to your point about sometimes as we read the text this says just as much about us and what we're dealing with as what the text is trying to trying to teach us right <clears throat> yeah i mean it's important uh, to not say more than the scripture is saying um I think they're trying to say more, you know, they, they're trying to prove to, you know, get proof text to, for their, you know, the um, temperance movement. Um, and <clears throat> if you understood how much drunkenness was a serious problem back then, um, then you can understand their intentions were positive, but their usage of scripture was a bit flawed because if you get into Exodus and and Deuteronomy, Leviticus, and you see that people are, you know, in their sacrifices, they're able to drink uh, even strong drink uh, in the sacrifices in Jerusalem. <laughs> You're sitting there going, you know, and God's not asking them to get hammered, but um, but he, he wasn't forbidding it even there. And so <clears throat> I sit back and I, you know, again, how people approach the issue of um, alcohol. I think is a very personal and um, it is a personal thing because people have personal histories and and so we want to be sensitive to um, differing approaches. But drunkenness is clearly forbidden uh, throughout the scripture. And so 
Um, and again, we don't know why, you know, Noah ended up getting drunk and we don't see God necessarily reproving him at this. Um, we, we do see dysfunction happening as a result. And it is, it was an embarrassment and he was, uh, even among his sons, it was a, considered a dishonorable thing um, because they, you know, Ham went out, <laughs> he's, he's talking about it. And so, um, and the other two brothers, they cover that, you know, the, the, the dishonor of their father in order to honor him, demonstrate. And again, the theme is of honoring one's mother and father. You know, that's one of the Ten Commandments, and it's an important, it's, it's important. If we go to Leviticus chapter 19, uh, Leviticus 19, 1 through 18, gives, you know, as part of the holiness code in Leviticus, and it, it shows um, a lot of the holy, holiness code it has to do with, you know, how you do sacrifices, etc. But these verses are focused in on how we treat one another. And the very first one in Leviticus 19, the very first issue is honoring your parents. And so it's an important theme in scripture, honoring your mother and your father. And so um, I think this is the heartbeat of what's happening here. Um, the issue of honoring one's father. Um, anyway, that's my thinking. Well, it it is definitely a story that I have long puzzled over here. This one at the end of Genesis nine. So I I really appreciate your your thoughts on it, um, and I I really hope that for our listeners as they're thinking through the flood story um, and thinking through reading it with their Muslim friends that they'll um, they will uh, take the time as they read it to. Uh, like you said, consider the ways that redemption is uh, just baked into the story, um, that they can think about how this um, these literary devices are continually pointing us um, towards God, towards his love, and towards um, the kingdom that he that he brings to our world. Uh, just one more point when, when working with or reading with our Muslim friends, this theme about honoring one's parents, I mean, that's important for the average Muslim in Muslim cultures. And it's deep, it's a deep, deep value within them. And so when you speak about the importance of honoring one's parents, immediately they will get that because um, that resonates strongly with them. Yeah. Well, Anthony, thanks for thanks for your time this week. God bless. Take care. Thanks for joining us on the Global Hearted Podcast. If you have more questions about how you can find ways to follow Jesus around the globe, or if you have questions you would like to hear Anthony answer, email us at anthony.taylor at globalhearted.com. Or to hear more episodes, go to globalhearted.com. And now receive a good word. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age.